Good morning, Missio. How are you guys doing? All right, man, this is good. This is so good. Hey, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Chris. I'm one of the elders who gets the joy of pastoring the Peoria congregation. And I want to say welcome to our space here in the magical land of the West Valley, home of uh, soccer fields and commercial chain restaurants and Missio Day communities as well. And so welcome. I'm glad you guys are here. Um, had the privilege of worshiping with you in some of your spaces before. Some of you have been able to worship with us in this space, but for many of you, this is the first time. And I recognize that most of you are used to gathering in the afternoon. And so for, for you to wake up early enough to get here by 10 a.m. in the West Valley, I just want to applaud you for that. Well done. Well done. If you're also visiting us for the first time, you're like, I'm not part of Missio Day Communities. Welcome to you too. We're so glad you're here with us to celebrate with us. We are gathering as we often do to celebrate who God is, what he has done, who he has called us to be as his people and to equip one another and build one another up into actually living that out faithfully as we're sent out into the world. Uh, but this morning we get to also specifically celebrate the fact that God has been good to us over a period of 10 years as a church here in the valley, that in his grace and in the power of his spirit, he has been working through us, building us up into the love of Christ, building us up into unity, making us look more and more like his son, and calling us to engage in his mission of bringing restoration and hope and the truth, the good news of salvation through Jesus to our cities and our communities around us. And so if you're joining us for the first time, that's who we are, Missio Dei Communities. Uh, Missio Dei is Latin for the mission of God, and that's what we strongly believe that we have been called into through someone who is following Jesus Christ. That's our role. And so we're glad you're here. I'm going to just uh, pray and then I'm going to invite Sandy Bacon up here in a moment, and she's going to lead us in our liturgy this morning, beginning with our call to worship, which is so fitting because when Missio Day Community started 10 years ago, the first gathering space for that was in the Bacon home. And so uh, just thank you for being so faithful and committed to this family over that 10 years and continue to serve alongside us. But join me in prayer, if you would. Father, you are so good to us so faithful. You are God who has made promises to your people and keeps those promises, even when your people have not been true to our word, even when we have turned our backs on you, and yet you faithfully pursue us, love us, and call us back into your arms. You unite people who have nothing else in common to be brothers and sisters and to be your children through the blood of Christ and the power of your spirit, so that all of us can gather here from Scottsdale, Arcadia, Tempe, Mesa, Peoria, Phoenix. We can gather here as one family this morning, as brothers and sisters, invited into your Missio Day, invited into your good work. And so may this morning be a great, joyous celebration of that, God, of the work that you have done and the power of your spirit May we rejoice and celebrate you today, not the works of our own hands. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for salvation through Jesus. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen. Would you stand with me for this morning's call to worship? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords. To him who alone who does great wonders. He remembered us in our lowest state and freed us from our enemies. Give thanks to the God of heaven. So, um, hey, we get the joy this morning to, as we were just singing that song of praise praising Jesus for all that he has done in and through Missio. And so we get the joy of looking back and looking around and looking forward to all the incredible things that God is doing. So I want you to just take a minute with me and join me in this story as we look back for a few moments. In the summer of 2008, 
10 years ago, very similar to this summer that we find ourselves now, it was dry, it was hot, a barren and vast land. Wait, scratch that last part. It was hot and dry, for sure. And 35 people got together and they said, hey, what would it look like if we committed to living lives together, orienting ourselves around the good news of Jesus and seeking to be a blessing to the city of Tempe? And so this small group of people said, yeah, that sounds like a super great idea. And so they organized themselves and called themselves Tempe City Church. Now, they weren't really concerned about being a church that organized around a building or programs or even a Sunday gathering, but they really were seeking to intentionally be these communities of missionary servants that were striving to live everyday life in the good news of Jesus and being a blessing to Tempe. See, they wanted to see the good news of Jesus saturate the city through his people as they were good news and word and deed and language and life to everyone around them. And so they, they were desiring to be a blessing because they knew that they were blessed. And so this desire was actually fueled by the Missio Dei. Missio Dei is that Latin phrase that means the mission of God. And it's this belief that God is on a mission to rescue his creation and his people from the pollution of sin. And he has decisively done that in and through Jesus. And so they felt this call to be these small communities of faithful missionary servants trying to faithfully play their role in God's story. Not just in Tempe, but really throughout the entire valley and throughout the world. And as they came to that realization, it made sense that instead of being called Tempe City Church, they would now change their name to reflect their, their role in playing the Missio Dei. Hence, the name we now know, know as Missio Dei Communities. Now, if you're kind of keenly aware to how I'm telling this story, I'm using the third person plural pronoun they, which does not include me. Interestingly, as a side story to this story, in the summer of 2008, I, along with a few others, were asking the same questions here in the West Valley. What would it look like if we gathered a few people together to live out the good news of Jesus here in the West Valley? And so we called ourselves Church of the Cross. And not long after we planted Church of the Cross here, I had the joy of meeting Chris Gonzalez and Kevin Platt. And over the next eight years of Church of the Cross existence, the love, the mentoring, the prayers, the influence of Missio on us was exceptional. And the overwhelming generosity of Missio culminated for Church of the Cross when we were adopted into the Missio Dei community's family in March of 2016 as the fourth congregation. And so now I can jump back into that story and again use the first person plural pronoun we. That we as Missio Dei communities have seen God do incredible things in and through us, amen? Now granted this last 10 years, certainly we have had a beautiful mess, ups and downs, successes, challenges, struggles, incredible transformations. I mean, just think of a couple of things, just at the tip of the iceberg. We've been planting missional communities to saturate the city here, near, and far. We've seen men, women, and children growing to know Jesus and the everyday stuff of life. We've also experienced pain. We've experienced hardship, challenges. But through that, we've been able to plant a church, Great Bay Gospel. And then we were able to plant another church, Camelback. And then we were able to adopt a church, us, Peoria. And then we were able to plant another church, Mesa. And it's going on and on as we are sitting humbly asking Jesus, continue your good work here in the valley. 
And not only here, but beyond wherever you may be, may we be faithful as your people living out our role in the Missio Day. See, what we can say no matter what is that Jesus has rescued a people, empowered us with his spirit, and equipped us to be the hands and feet into this community. In Tempe, in Mesa, Camelback, Peoria, and Lord willing, more to come. This is good news. Jesus is alive and well and working through Missio Day communities. And we get to be a part of this story. Does that excite you? I hope it does. He is so good. And I just wanna give a shout of praise to him. Would you just pray with me as I praise our king this morning? Father God, we look back and we just delight in all that you have done. We delight in who you are that you loved us so much that you sent your son to be our rescuer. And in and through your people, these families of missional communities scattered throughout the valley, you are continuing your good story to rescue and bring more and more people into your family. Father, empower us by the power of your spirit to be faithful presences, foretaste of your good news in all that we do. Jesus, receive the glory as you continue your great work in and through Missio Dei communities. We praise you in your name, amen. We wanna continue this morning in celebration and we're gonna ask uh, that you stand here in a moment and we're gonna take some time just to hang out and there's some incredible coffee back there, some great nutritional donuts um, that are going to fuel you for the rest of this morning. Um, get you through the day, um, but we're going to ask as, as we kind of do that for the next 10 minutes or so, um, find somebody you don't know, preferably somebody that is not in your, uh, your congregation, introduce yourself, uh, share some stories of what's going on within your missional communities, what God is doing, uh, share life a little bit for the next 10 minutes, let's just have some fun, we're going to celebrate that and then we'll bring it all back together and continue in worship, all right, all right, let's do that. So Wade did uh, looking back. And the way we try to structure this is looking back, looking around, and looking forward. Kevin will talk about looking forward and where do we go from here uh, in a little bit. But right now I wanna take just a few minutes and to look around at 10 years in, where are we, who are we, what has God done? And so the, the, the verse, there's this one verse that keeps coming to my mind over the last several weeks as I've been thinking about uh, today and thinking about what to say as we look around, and it is Galatians 6, 9. So it's towards the end of the book of Galatians, uh, one of Paul's letters, and he says this, after he's reminded them of the gospel, he's encouraged them to stay faithful to the gospel, to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, and then he says this to this a small congregation, and I want to say this to our congregations gathered here together. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the right and proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let us not grow weary in doing good. And the, the reason this keeps coming back to me is the reality that 10 years in, there can be, and, and with a lot of families uh, growing and lots of kids running around and, and, and all this, it can, be, it can become easy to grow weary. And so we'll talk about the growing weary in a second, but I wanted to start out with some of the good. What is some of the good that has happened over the last 10 years, and what is some of the good that we're seeing and experiencing right now, and so uh, I wish I had more time. We wanted to give you more time right there, but I almost wanted to have you turn to a couple people around you and just share what is a good thing that has happened in your MC, in your missional community over the last couple months. And I wonder if everybody just started to think right now, what is something, of, what is something we've done that is doing good? Maybe it's the way that we've loved each other, welcomed new people in. Maybe it's the way we've extended ourselves and, and offered our lives and our money and our time and our emotions and our heart and our feels to somebody else outside the family to bring them in and to love them and to care for them. There's lots of different things that would come to mind and we could share with each other about what is the good that has been happening even recently. But another way to look at this, to look at the doing good and the reaping of the harvest, I think we've been able to reap, by God's grace, over the last 10 years, some of the harvest. And so I just wanna do this by the numbers, to play a little game. 
And so the first number is six. Six is the number of true story symbols that we have as we've been seeking to live the true story, to, seeking to live this, that those symbols that we've come up with, those arrows and X's and the cross, that many, if not all of you know, and a lot of your kids know those true symbols as well. And so how cool, and think about all the ways that those symbols have been used and what they've been printed on, and you see them on the little decals, the water bottle decals, you can put it on the back of your car window, whatever you wanna do. But um, these symbols are not just like an extra little evangelism tool, but this is a way to talk about the biblical story, what God is doing from creation to new creation. And some of the beautiful fruit and some of the good is that, uh, guys, like I'm not trying to toot our own horns, or is it? But there is something remarkable about Missio because of the way that we see ourselves living in that story, because of how the true story symbols have helped, and because of how the missional communities work. There is something unique. And as I talk to other pastors and they around the city, they say they're like nobody lives in the story and understands the story like people in Missio Day. And so just like take that for what it is, that there's, some, there's a way that you understand the biblical story and see yourselves taking a role in it. And, the, and you have, even though you might be sitting there thinking, no, I don't, I don't get it, you have an ability to communicate the story of God in a way that is remarkable and other people take note of. Uh, five, five is the number of congregations that have been planted in the last 10 years. Remarkable. 72, 72, we had to do a lot of work and a lot of remembering to come up with this, but 72 is the number of missional communities that have been planted in the last 10 years. Some of them still going on, many of them, but many of them uh, had a season and then transitioned, transformed, uh, multiplied out and planted house churches and all sorts of things in between. But over the years, between all of our congregations, there's been 72 missional communities that have been started. And what's interesting too, what's, what's good and what's remarkable about this as well, the 72, is that um, each of these missional communities, as you know, they're not just like small groups. But in essence, what we say to all of our, small, all of our missional community leaders, we say, see this not as a small group, but see this as the core group of a potential church plant. And as leaders, right, you see your group differently when you see it as the core group of a potential church plant and you ask different questions, and you go about it in different ways. And so 72 is the number of missional communities planted. 20 is the current number of missional communities in our congregations. One in nine, the number is one in nine. One seminary that we've uh, planted. Realize that in the midst of this, the missional training center, over the last seven years, you all have given significant, a significant amount of the money that you all have given to Missio has then gone uh, to help fund, to convince Mike and Marnie Goheen to move down here from Vancouver, uh, and then to help fund for the initial five and six years to fund at a significant portion, getting the Mitchell Training Center started. And then nine is the number of students who have been trained through the Mitchell Community Center. So if you're, a, if you're either a graduate, Chris, or uh, a student in the Mitchell Training Center, and we have students in, in each of our congregations now, would you just raise your hand and so nine, and then also incoming students as well. So there's a couple of incoming students as well in here. So one and nine number of seminaries. And then uh, lastly is the number six. Six is the number of SOMA schools that we've hosted. And so together our congregations have hosted, uh, we, we're taking this year off, but the previous six years, we've done this one week intensive where leaders, over 100 leaders from all, uh, uh, 20 leaders a year, but all together over 100 leaders from not just around the country, but pastors and ministry leaders from around the world have come and have lived in your homes. So you guys have taken the, 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 the chance and you've hosted people in your homes for a week at a time so that they could come and get this intensive training and go back. And the stories of what people have done as they've gone back to the different places around the world is incredible. Uh, the next thing I wanna talk about is just looking around what's happened over the last 10 years, uh, going global. So uh, not just, uh, uh, when we started, Ed Stetzer said this, he's a Southern Baptist missiologist, and he said that what a, the travesty, the tragedy is that a lot of churches are talking about being missional, 
missional, missional, missional, and saying we don't have to go to all these places in order to be missional, but we can be missional in our own backyard. And Stetzer said, that's wonderful, but most of these churches that are becoming more missional and seeing mission as what happens in our own neighborhoods, they forget about the nations. And they forget about going outside and extending past our own backyard. And so by God's grace, from day one, I don't, you may or may not know this, but from day one of every dollar that comes in to Missio, we've set aside 10% for church planning and 10% to go overseas and have lived on 80% of everything that comes in. And so there's a bunch of countries up here, but a few stories. One, the first $5,000 that Missio Day ever spent was to translate the Bible into a cluster of languages in India. So some, some language groups in India, this cluster of languages that didn't have the Bible in their language, we gave $5,000 to be a part of helping translate that. We sent a team to Haiti just months after an earthquake that sent the country into turmoil and devastation. We've developed a symbiotic relationship. You like that, Nick? A symbiotic relationship with a church plant in Estonia, such that it's not just we're going there to serve them. There's a team that's going there in just a couple weeks of a number. Raise your hand if you're going to Estonia in a couple weeks. So a number of people from the Camelback congregation are going there to serve in Estonia. But not just that, but it's been reciprocal where they have served and, uh, and equipped us as well. Supported the long, faithful work of a family who dedicated nearly a decade to the least of these in Thailand, not only financially, but through prayer, coaching, and equipping. They brought hope, healing, and the good news to many from those being sex trafficked to Thai businessmen and they raised up local Thai Christian leaders before finally returning to the U.S. as local missionaries. And then another story from Peoria is currently about to send out two families of missionaries from within the Missio family this summer. And so there's so much, and there's so much good that has happened is continuing to happen within the life of our missional community. And so my encouragement to you, if I can really quickly, is to encourage you to not grow weary. I think there's three areas that we could have a potential to grow weary in in this next season. And they are messiness, kids, and sin. And I do not use those, those are not all the same thing. <laughs> the first is messiness. Messiness. Listen, missional community life is messy. What we ask you to do and what we're calling you to do to be a part of Missio is to like be the messy Marines of the church culture. And listen, I know as well as anybody else that there are other places that we could go, that we could go, that would not ask any more of us than to have a nice, neat service on Sunday and really not have to do anything else. But the reality of missional community life where you're being asked to mix it up with people who are different from you, with people who don't know Jesus, with people who do know Jesus but act like they don't know Jesus, with, don't look at people in your missional community right now. But all of this, <laughs> having people in your home who use up all your food and don't bring food, to, all this stuff, it's messy. The life of discipleship is messy. And there could be a temptation as we get further and further into this to, to just sit there and be like, what are we doing? But as uh, Jude uh, Tenorio, who's in our missional community and uh, has just come in recently and is there on their way out to Germany to plant missional communities there, but Jude said this recently. He just says, you guys forget what it's like out there. You forget, yeah, it's, it's neat. It can be neater other places. You forget in the messiness of it how beautiful it is, though. So as you experience the mess, would you please remember that the kingdom of God is all about a beautiful mess. And try, 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 pray and ask and remember when you get frustrated with the people in your MC, when you get frustrated with the people you're trying to reach out to as they don't respond, pray and ask God to show you how it's a beautiful mess. Because I'm telling you, it is beautiful. And I can't imagine raising my kids and being a part of any other kind of community. The second is kids. When we started out 10 years ago, we had three kids. All their last name was Gonzalez. Kids ministry is me figuring out how to get my kids babysat while I preached. <laughs> now it's different. There's lots of kids. I just want to say this. Um, when you have kids, when you have uh, toddlers and infants, it's just a different bandwidth that you have. It's a reality. But for all of us, let us remember, we've been saying this all along, 
that kids are never a burden in the biblical story. They are always seen as a blessing. And so what a blessing that we have the next generation coming in strong, growing up, knowing the biblical story, having people around them who they know love them and care for them. And then finally, the final thing we could grow weary from is sin. Sin, plain and simple. But there's always the temptation that we would seek to not live in the light, but to hide and to cover up our sin. And what that will lead to is weariness. Sin will take our eye away from the vision of gospel saturation. It'll take our dependence away from the Holy Spirit and it will certainly lead us into weariness. So as we go, let us not grow weary of doing good and realize that the Spirit is at work among us as we continue to go on as we look around right now. I wanna lead us in a time of confession. There's lots of great things. I could show lots of more numbers and celebrate lots more ways that God has and continues to use us, but we're not a perfect congregation and we're not perfect people. And so I also want to give us an opportunity to confess our sin together. Would you all stand? I wanna pray. Uh, me, I will pray, and then I wanna lead us in our corporate confession together. Would you pray with me? Almighty Father, over the last 10 years, we've seen much good, and we've seen your hand in many ways guiding us to faithfulness. But Father, at the same time, we confess that we have not always seen our stuff as ours, but often we've seen it as mine. Father, we as Missio Dei, we have at times and in many ways perpetuated a male-dominant church culture and not listened to and learned from the voices of over half our church. Father, our desire for diversity, we confess, our desire reflects the diversity of our kingdom, of your kingdom, but that has not materialized as we had hoped, and it's no doubt due to our own biases and privileges. We confess this to you. Father, we have trusted in our own strength rather than your mighty arm. Father, we have shied away at times from bold, and daring verbal proclamation of your good story and been more concerned of people's opinions of us. Father, at times we have been guilty of methodolatry, idolizing our method of missional community and thinking that would save us and make us okay and good in your kingdom. And Father, we have not set your son Jesus Christ apart as Lord in our hearts. We have not always been, he has not always been our treasure, our deepest desire, our king. For these things and so many other ways that we have failed to be faithful over the last 10 years, we confess, we ask your forgiveness, we ask that you would be merciful. And so now together as a humble people, a contrite family, we stand and we confess our sin together with our corporate confession. Join with me. Most merciful God. And having confessed your sins, hear these words of assurance from Exodus and Romans. Let these words wash over you, these words of Scripture. God is slow to anger and full of compassion. 
He forgives all who humbly repent and trust in his Son as Savior and Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you as we sing our next song, we're going to do something that we have a tradition and a habit and a ritual and a liturgy of doing each and every week, and that is coming to the Lord's table. Because we believe that we are reminded of the gospel, not just reminded of the gospel as we come and we take that piece of bread and dip it in the juice. We're not just reminded, but we in some way, in some mystery, Paul calls it, we are united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. And so let us come together to this table as all of our congregations together and as we take communion to look around and to say we together are united, we together are forgiven, and the cornerstone, the thing that unites us is nothing less and nothing more than the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we sing about, that's our hope, and that's why we come to this table together. So there will be uh, three uh, stations all up front. So we just invite you to come up front to one of the three stations. And Sandy, in the middle here, will have the gluten-free option for you if you'd like that. I want to declare that the work that we do is not of our own strength, but we are desperately in need of you. If you don't move, nothing happens. And so we cry that out. Uh, God, we need you. But we don't cry that out, Lord, wondering if you'll hear that cry, but you've answered it. In the person and work of Jesus, in the sending of your spirit, and we're so grateful for that. And we ask that Jesus, you would bless these next few moments, and spirit, would you move in and through us. In your name, amen. If you haven't yet taken communion, please do it now in remembrance of him. And you can grab a seat. My name's Kevin uh, Platt. I pastor the newest church plant congregation we got going in Mesa, Arizona. There is a place called, yep, there we go. Uh, they showed up. They drove across. They probably had the farthest drive, so I'm proud of you guys. Um, but uh, I'm over there. Uh, one of the fun facts that you probably don't know because it's not entirely true about me is that I, uh, I spent two years as a track star. Um, it's not true. I mean, right? Like, I got the body. I could do it. I was fast as a kid. I was fast. Uh, fourth and fifth grade, I was blazing fast. And here's the reality. You put me in a small enough Christian school, I'm pretty fast. <laughs> Anybody else here Christian school fast? Is that, no, don't, you don't have to do it. No. Um, it's a different category where I grew up. 35 kids in my class. But uh, I was blazing fast. And so, uh, Fourth grade year, I was brought in, and uh, we had one track meet a year, so all of those of you that actually train and are athletes, um, that was not what we did. We had one track meet a year, because that's all they could really staff, and so if you played a sport, you got a chance to run track, because, heck, you're probably in all right shape, and you can um, move faster than the guy next to you, so I played soccer and basketball, so I had to stay in a pretty normal condition for those things, and so uh, fourth grade, I ran the, uh, the 400, that's a thing, right, like the 400, Right? Track people? Yep. So I ran the 400, and I got podiumed or platformed or milk crated, whatever we had at the time. Like, I was across there, and I was pretty stoked about it. Uh, the next year, uh, they try it out again, and they kind of just tip your hat because they're like, whatever, you ran it last year. You could probably do it again this year just a little bit faster. So I was uh, in fifth grade, and so I went uh, out for that and ran it and uh, did all right. Didn't quite podium on that, but I had a chance at redemption. Because the person who was running the 800 was also our long jumper and uh, twisted their ankle in this sand pit thingy when they were jumping. Um, so was not able to do the 800. Well, I did the 400. And what's four times two? Eight, right? So how hard could that be? They're like, Kevin, do you want to do the 800? And I said, absolutely. I just ran 400, did it fast. I could go ahead and get a chance. I'll just do it twice. And it's easy. And so starting line blocks up, right, ready to roll. In my place, uh, we didn't have real blocks, you just had to stop and stay still, so they told you to go. Um, and then when they said go, ran my little heart out, um, all probably 75 pounds of me, blazing fast, my legs moving like the wind, uh, for about 300 yards. Uh, and, and then I was in a place with a real predicament. Because it wasn't just that I had to get to the 400 mark, right? I had to go again, like the whole thing. Which is really embarrassing when you have no energy and you're in fifth grade and quit track that next year. Um, 
And for the first time in my prolific track career, I found that uh, I was unable to do what I had set out to do, and it might have been my training, it might have been my diet, it might have been the fact, whatever. But in that moment, I don't think I'd ever had a moment where I needed any kind of encouragement to do what I was doing because I was on autopilot. It was once a year, I just ran with it. In that moment, I became acutely aware of all the sounds that were going on because I waited to hear like the booze because you're in fifth grade. So clearly everybody at this soccer field cares about you, right? Like they're gonna boo you. Um, but I waited for it and there were no boos. There were uh, some encouragements and some, oh dear, this kid's not gonna make it. Um, moments going on, but I remember as a kid, because you're so impressionable at that point, and it scars you for life, that the encouragements that were spoken um, allowed me to very slowly, and almost in last place, there was somebody that was a Christian school slower than me, Um, so I made it across before them, but that encouragement to keep going, that there's training, there's effort, there's pursuit, there's things that we do, but the reality is that to continue on for the long haul, you can't quite engage with it with the same speed that you're doing Uh, for the shorter runs. And the reality is we're 10 years old as a church, which is great, that's a decade, that's pretty amazing. Um, But that's 10 years out of a really long haul that we hope to do should Jesus not return to restore this world before that time, because he'll be a better um, leader than all of us and he'll probably have a much um, bigger 10-year anniversary when he comes back and rescues for that, but that's cool. Um, But... We don't wanna just be 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, right? We're saying, what does it look like for Missio Day communities to be a faithful presence in the valley and throughout the world for the long haul? What would it take for us to not just say, all right, maybe we can get through another, another one of these and barely limp over the finish line at 20 years and say, whoa, that was good. But if Jesus wants from our church for us to be a faithful fixture in this valley on into the future, what are some of the encouragements that will take us that way? What would that be? And so I'm gonna look at Mark 6. If you have a Bible, um, if you don't, it'll be on the screen, but my guess is that Chris did ESV and we, I have the NIV, but, oh, good to see you've been converted. Um, we'll be in the NIV. Uh, Mark chapter six, and I'll start in verse 30. It's a super familiar story, maybe one of the uh, most familiar stories of Jesus other than his crucifixion and resurrection. Uh, most people know this one going to talk about three encouragements out of the text, none of which the words actually show up in this text, but faith, hope, and love coming out of this story. And so if you'd read with me, verse 30, the apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Jesus had just previously sent them out on the first killer missions trip, and they were casting out demons, they were feeding people, they were seeing wild things happen at their hands, and they were believing that the kingdom of God was breaking in, and then declaring that to people, and they were responding. And so he had a, they had a ton of good reports. Also during this time, Jesus' cousin was beheaded by the dancer because that's what she really wanted was uh, in payment was John the Baptist's head on a platter. So that had also happened, right? So this is, this is a pretty packed moment in Jesus' life. So when they come back together, he's got word that his cousin had died is what Matthew tells us. They reported those things. The disciples are coming in all amped up, right? Like a 12 teenage boys on Red Bull because they just watched like the Holy Spirit do phenomenal things. And they come back together. So coming out of a season of this ministry, Jesus, probably a really low time. The disciples, a really amped time. Then because of many people were coming to them, they did not even have a chance to eat. So he said to them, come with me by yourselves in a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot all through all the towns and got there ahead of them. I don't know if the disciples were cruising or just like not really rowing that hard or the wind died out, but whatever happened, these guys made it there first. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. He was internally affected by their state. He saw them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and we don't have Chick-fil-A, it's Sunday. They said, it's already very late. Now Chick-fil-A's in your head and you're really angry that it's Sunday, yeah. So he began teaching them many things. At this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. Hey, this is a remote place, it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding areas the countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you Give them something to eat. 
Uh, talk about something that's gonna take that swagger they walked into this conversation with, like, look at everything the Holy Spirit did, and then turn that to humility really, really quickly is another daunting task that's absolutely impossible. How are we supposed to feed them? And they said to him, this would take more than a half year's wages, and if we're gonna pay you, it's our half year's wages. Where are you gonna provide this from? And we go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them (laughs) to all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. I love that it's green grass. That's from somebody that was there, right? Like Peter's like, hey, Mark, write this down. It was green grass, remember that day. So on the green grass, and looking to heaven, he gave thanks, and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate, and they were all satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten that day was 5,000, and that's what many say. It was probably actually 10,000 people that ate that day. And so I I wanna encourage us from this story because it's familiar, so I want it to stay lodged in your head that there's three encouragements I have for you as we look to be a church that exists for the long haul that's not gonna make it just one lap around the track and then fizzle out because, man, that was tiring, but who endure as long as the Spirit will give us energy to work in this place. The first is that I wanna encourage us to continue to be a community of faith. A community who says yes to Jesus even when it seems like we're tired, worn out, and maybe had a lot going on. The disciples had just come back, right? They hadn't eaten, they were hungry, they just rode across a lake and then they'd come in and Jesus has compassion on the people and then he says, here's what I want you to do. And you have to remember, these are are younger teenagers probably, maybe early 20s, and uh, Jesus says, here's what you're supposed to do. Um, They have an option like many of our kids do to be like, no, why, why, why would I do that? And then especially when they hear like what the, what the work to do is like go stand in front of a bunch of hangry people and tell them, hey, by the way, sit down, we got food coming. And they're like, oh, where, where's the food trucks? Like they're not lining up yet. And he's like, ah, oh, no, 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 just have a seat. It's cool, it'll be here. Jesus said we're good, so just hang out in these seats and be good. The work kind of daunting, kind of unparalleled, kind of unpredictable. But yet stepping in in faith to say, no, Jesus is here, so things have changed. Having faith, uh, Jim Cimbala says it like this. He wrote the book Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire that was super formative to me early on in my faith. He says, faith never denies reality but leaves room for God to grant a new reality. Track with that. Faith never denies reality but leaves room for God to grant a new reality. It didn't say things aren't broken, think people aren't hungry, there's no food here. I know all that's true, but Jesus said to go ahead and he's gonna do something, so let's get ready for that. As a church family, would we press in and say, what is that new reality that Jesus wants us to believe in? Because new creation's breaking into right now. Will we believe it and act like that's true? What's that new reality for your heart where you say, I can actually change. Jesus can transform me. He can transform my family from a place of anger to a place of peace. He can transform my neighborhood from a place where it's known for brokenness to a place known for beauty. To see this valley united under the kingdom of God. Could could he do that? Yeah. Would we step out in faith and say, that's the work he wants for us to participate in? And would we keep saying yes to Jesus when he asks us into those places, even if we're tired, even if we're worn out? He gives rest, but that rest was a boat ride. It wasn't a year or two's time off, right? Even for himself, he didn't say, all right, I'm gonna take this next you know, few years off to recover. He says, all right, you guys got a boat ride, then we're back at it. Declare and demonstrate the kingdom. There's work to be done for us to be faithful in the work that we're invited into. The second piece, an encouragement for us, to be a community of hope. And so hope, not cynicism. Uh, Cynicism very easily says, all right, this is what it is, right? It is what it is, and that's really what it's gonna be. It's not gonna get much better. But a community of hope that says, oh, it might be is what it is, but there's a life, death, resurrection of Jesus and ascending of the Spirit that empowers, and he hasn't grown tired. He's not worn out. He's not weak. He's not weary. He's still God and still doing things. Well, we press in and say, I have hope that he will do that. And here's the thing. If you live in missional community life very long, you know it gets wearisome. It gets tiring. People disappoint you. You disappoint yourself. You feel like God's letting you down. 
but would we be people who look into the gospel, the good news of all that Jesus has done, and say, well, but, but, but wait, new creation really is invading this old world. Like that really is taking place, and so I'm gonna choose to live as if God was gonna do the things he said he would do with hope, not the cynicism that expects people to regularly fail, and that sits back and be like, see, told you so. I can find myself on both sides of that. I was hanging out with some young leaders in um, Cape Town, South Africa, and they were working in the townships there, and so we were there to equip them to do some work, and uh, they were looking at their townships, and so this is like a million people who all live in houses that they made with their hands on land that's not theirs, that's made out of like tin and leftover scraps, right? Like there's a million people in this township, and they're sitting down with eager eyes saying, what would it look like if the kingdom of God showed up here? Will you teach us? I said, I have no idea. Like, how do you guys still have like, Africa doesn't change. Like, there's whole sayings for this. There's whole, the continent is in disarray. Like, what is your hope? And they're like, well, I would love to see it if just our block was transformed. Like, what would it look like if our neighbors or our friends were able to get the gospel? What could change? And then it led to this great two, three-hour conversations we had saying, what would the kingdom imagination look like to see this transformed? And would we have the faith to believe Jesus could actually do it? These young disciples in this story taking that bread, walking around, actually extending the providence of Jesus to other people to allow them to be participants in the miracle. Something beautiful takes place. So faith, hope, anybody know the last one? It's on the screen, it's in your head. Love, faith, hope, love. Would we be people, a community that knows we're deeply loved by the Father and then expresses that towards others? not in a begrudging way, but in a joy-filled, action-oriented overflow of all that God's done for us. Not in a begrudging way like my kids can often do when I ask them to do something and then they have to be kind to each other and it's like, oh, that doesn't, I wanna tell them that doesn't count, right? Like when they're like in a fight, so I have, two, four, I have a four-year-old, a five-year-old, and a six-year-old and often they uh, don't get along. I don't know if you guys have that experience. Um, with kids or your brother, sister, or your spouse. Like, you don't get along all the time, and there's times when you do things, you're just like, I don't want to, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Um, as you grow up, you learn to mask that a little bit, right? Like, maybe they don't know that, you think, on the way home. Maybe they didn't notice how much I didn't wanna do that, but I did it anyway, so there's your ride, leave me alone, call somebody else to the airport next time, right? Like, that's, that's us often. But kids don't know to have that mask yet, and they're just like, whatever, I'll throw the nastiest face while I'm giving you the toy, because I don't really want to. We might have that mask on, but are we still acting in love towards one another? Intentionally choosing to act as if others are greater than ourselves because we are servants. That overflow of all that Jesus has done in us. I love this story because it says he had compassion on the crowds and then that compassion overflows onto the disciples who then extend God's grace out to others and get to participate in the miracle that Jesus was gonna do either way. Like I have no doubt if all the disciples said, we're gonna take a vote, we're not doing it. Choose somebody else, Jesus would've been like, all right, cool. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. Come here, I got something for you to do. Go pass some bread out. But then they would've missed out on being part of that miracle where God brought heaven to earth and they were able to experience that in a tangible way. And for us, that's what I want us to do as a church family, to experience God's grace in us as he works through us. So if in another 10 years we, we gather together in a room this size or smaller or larger, that part doesn't matter. But the question was, were we a community who grew in faith, in love, and in hope? Could that be said of us in another decade? I think if it can, we're on our way to continuing to be a faithful presence in the city. If it can't, there's probably a lot missing for us. And the impact that we hope to make will be made by somebody else who throws their hand up and says, I'm in, I'll do it. But would we be the sort of people who endure for the longevity of the race, uh, knowing that it's not just one lap around we're aiming for, but this is a marathon that the Spirit empowers us for, that Jesus sets ahead of us, and that we get to follow him on. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, this work only happens if you move And so we ask that you would give us the endurance to run the race set before us as we look to you, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Uh, would we be women, men, and children who lean into the words of Jesus and regularly respond by saying yes and then ask questions later?
Would our first flinch be to say, uh, yes, I will step out, yes, I will follow, yes, I will lead, yes, I will go, yes, I will stay, yes, I will give, yes, I will open up my wallet, yes, I will open up my dining room table, yes, I will give up my car, yes, I will. Spirit, would you call us and give us the faith to believe? And then would you also create in us the kind of hope that doesn't just come from wishful thinking, but from feet firmly grounded in the gospel? that we believe that you are making all things new and that you will one day return and that you have already defeated Satan, sin, and death, and so we are free to live. And new creation's breaking in. That means our friends can change, our family can change, our communities can change. And God, it may be slow, so give us the endurance to press on with hope. Even when the narrative looks very different, give us eyes to see. And then would you make us a loving people? Melt our hearts, boggle our minds. Overwhelm us with the reality of all that you've already done and all that you're yet to do, uh, not so that we have to earn our approval before you, but because it's given in Jesus already. Would we feel that and work and labor from that? And God, would you allow us to step back where needed, to rest, but then always re-engage? and allow us to be the type of people who regularly remind each other of these things. We can have faith because Jesus is bedrock certain that he does not falter. We can have hope because heaven is indeed being reunited with earth. And we can love because God is love and has extended that to us. And we thank you for these things, Jesus. And thank you for your spirit who's here with us. Amen your kids at any time, but would you please put out your hands to receive this benediction? Missio Dei communities, go now into God's world as a community engaged by the Holy Spirit to be a faithful witness across the valley. And may God Almighty make you faithful to his calling, cheerful in his service, and truthful for his kingdom. The blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you and upon all those to whom he sends you now and always. Amen.